0: Hi there, this is High Performance, our gift to you for free every single week. Look, this podcast turns the lived experience of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So allow the greatest leaders, thinkers, sports stars, entertainers and entrepreneurs to be your teacher. Today, this is In Store.
1: That's probably one of the things that I miss the most uh, about not playing is being in that team changing room uh, after a game knowing you've just gone to war with, with some of your best mates. So when you're under pressure, you can go into a state of redhead where you, where you lose control, you're not clear, uh, you're not calm, you're not thinking properly, or you can go blue, uh, state of blue head. That blue is, you know, you're calm, clear, your decision-making is all on track and... And as a number 10 in the game i needed to be in a state of blue bluehead as much as possible i don't remember a lot from when i was five years old to be honest but i remember that moment of going i want to be an all black this is my dream it's as simple as that like i i want pressure in my life if i'm going through you know a, a weekend and um and it's all too easy then i know that i'm not on the verge of greatness
0: It's only Dan Carter, one of the greatest rugby players to ever play the game, a proper All Blacks legend. But as always on this podcast, this is not a conversation about sport. It's not a conversation about rugby. It's a conversation about life. And Dan has some amazing takeaways because he has got to the top by employing world-class basics. Things that I promise you can do from today with your life to get closer to high performance i really want to just get straight into this episode so just to let you know if you go to the high performance it's our online home where you can join our members club you can get details about our book that's out in december our uk tour that's coming your way in 2022 so head to the high performance but for now sit back and enjoy coming next is a brilliant episode of the high performance podcast Hey, before we get going with today's high-performance podcast, um, I want to speak about our founding partners, Lotus Cars. Hey, do you know what? They don't just make cars. Something's going on at Hethel, uh, which is about two miles from my house here in Norfolk, but suddenly... They're bringing the style to the high street as well. They've partnered with tailors Norton and Sons. Um, If you live in London, you may well know Norton and Sons. They're like been around for hundreds of years on Savile Row. An amazing tailoring business now led by designer Patrick Grant, who is incredible. Um, And they've created a handcrafted jacket for the drivers um it's available exclusively to customers of the two million pound lotus Evija hypercar i mean i'd love to tell you that you can go out and, and get your hands on one of these amazing jackets but you basically need to buy the car first before you get your hands on it but i i've had a look at it and it's absolutely stunning so i'm i i do not know whether i can um speak to someone at lotus to get myself a jacket without spending two million pounds on a car or whether i need to take out a loan to get my hands on the jacket but I just love Lotus doing these amazing things, Um, and you can actually watch a film on YouTube um, about the project, just type in Lotus X Norton and Sons, and you'll find the video right there. But as I've said before, and I will say it every week, because oh my goodness, it's so important, without Lotus there is no high-performance podcast, and every single time I get amazing comments on my Instagram or people getting in touch saying how high-performance has changed their lives. Of course, it's thanks to the guests who've joined us and the hard work of Damien, but So much of it is thanks to Lotus Cars for being there at the very start, backing us, trusting us, and allowing us to create the High Performance Podcast. If you want to find out more about Lotus, go to lotuscars.com. You can find the info about their jacket collaboration right there. Or just check them out across social media as well, at Lotus Cars. Love you, Lotus.
2: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
0: One of the phrases that Damon and I like to use the most on the High Performance Podcast is that talent gets you into the room and then your attitude keeps you there. So how do you first of all get into the room as an All Black, which in itself is difficult, but then manage to find the attitude and the approach? And the mental strength and the physical ability to stay there for as long as our guest has. I'm sure he's a man who doesn't like to be called the best of all time, but he's a man who regularly is called exactly that. But also being modest, he'd probably turn around and tell us that someone else is the best of all time. But how much does actually being the best really matter. Um, many of you know, we had a conversation a year ago, almost to the day with Johnny Wilkinson, where he spoke about being the best or being the worst isn't irrelevant. It's all about your happiness. It's all about what you get from what you give in this life. And we're now joined by a man who gave so much and we're about to find out exactly what he got and how he gave it and how he got it as well. So please welcome to the podcast, one of the greatest men to ever pick up a rugby ball All Blacks legend, Dan Carter, joining us all the way from the other side of the world. Dan, thank you very much for being with us.
1: No problem. Thanks a lot, Jake, Damien. Yeah, you've already mentioned the the legend himself, Johnny Wilkinson, obviously was a a player that I respected hugely throughout my career. And there were a lot of things that I took into my career and um, as a rugby player that, that I learned from him, a lot around work ethic, excellence. Uh, resilience, there's just so many things. So, um, thanks for inviting me onto the podcast, and, and looking forward to to, to chatting and, and sharing a few stories.
0: Brilliant. Well, I know you've listened to some of the episodes, so you probably know the first question that's coming your way. What, in your mind, is high performance?
1: I absolutely love the word high performance. It, it just takes me back to to my career, and for me, it, it's all about controlling your mind. So, as an athlete. You can perform on the training field, you can do all the skills you want, but you need to be able to perform under pressure. That's when it counts. For me, that's high performance. And there's so many things that can take you off track. Uh, A lot of it is to do with your mind uh, and controlling your mind. So the first or probably seven years of my all-black career, um, we spent so much time in the gym, out on the training field, and that's what we thought. Was high performance was just training harder than anyone else little did we realize that we weren't spending enough time on our, our mental strength so why would we spend two hours a day in the gym three hours a day out on the rugby field and not spend any time on controlling your mind when high performance is exactly that being able to deal and have the tools to be able to perform under pressure so as soon as we realized that and we didn't realize that until end of 2007, 2008, when the All Blacks uh, got knocked out of the Rugby World Cup quarter final. We were the worst performing All Black side in history. Um, We were the number one team in the world. We were expected to go there and win that World Cup. Uh, We were were deemed chokers because we hadn't won a World Cup for, for 20 years, being the number one team in the world for so long. So we went away, and we actually really dived into the reasons why we were unsuccessful. And a lot of it was around pressure. We didn't like pressure. We struggled to perform under pressure, and we just didn't have the the tools to be able to um, perform under pressure. So once we we changed our mindset around that, all of a sudden we're able to to perform. So for me,
0: um,
1: high performance is all about performing under pressure.
0: It's a brilliant opening answer, and is so helpful for so many people, because as you know, this podcast is not really a conversation about rugby. Um, it isn't, I'm afraid, Dan, even really a conversation about your career. Um, it's a conversation that people listening to this can, can just take bits from. So let's get straight into the heart of it then. What did you learn about dealing with pressure through those conversations that you applied to rugby that our listeners and our viewers can apply to their own lives?
1: Well, there are different types of pressure. And there's there's pressure that a homeless person goes through to to try and find a a meal uh, every day. But there's also high performance pressure, uh, the pressure that athletes, successful business people have to deal with on a daily basis. And as soon as you you realize you have pressure in your life, you should get excited. And I know you had Ben Francis on here from Gymshark recently talked about pressure being a privilege. It's as simple as that. Like I, I want pressure in my life. If I'm going through, you know, a, a weekend and um, and it's all too easy, then I know that I'm not on the verge of greatness. So when I have pressure in my life, I have people relying on me. I know that my preparation has to be second to none. I know that I've got eighty thousand people in the grandstand, millions of people watching me to see whether I succeed or failure, that's the pressure that I love. And I actually thrive upon it. And pressure does funny things to people. It used to put a huge burden on my shoulders. I used to really not like the butterflies um, that would go through uh, my body before a big game, and I didn't have the tools to be able to perform under pressure. So it was it was really challenging. But soon as I learned that actually the most successful people in this world live with pressure on a daily basis so for me it was almost like i'm on the verge of of achieving something i really care about i'm on the verge of of doing something really unique and special so all of a sudden pressure it's actually a privilege to have it in your life you know because if it's you don't have pressure then you're just cruising through life you're not on the verge of of achieving unique and and special things so that that was huge all of a sudden instead of having the weight on my shoulders when I was in pressure situations, I was actually looking for it. I was walking towards pressure and that's something that that I really thrived upon. And even now that I've finished playing, I'm looking for pressure. I, I want to be in situations where I'm put under pressure because I, I know you're on the verge of doing something you know, unique and special.
3: So one of the um, guys that was central to these conversations coming into the All Blacks, as I understand it, then was was the appointment of Kerry Evans the psychiatrist to do this, who speaks around the red and blue ways of thinking. Would you describe how you understood Kerry's work?
1: Yeah, Kerry Evans, he was class. Um, Forensic psychologist, really challenged you, really wanted us to live in precious situations. There's another guy, Gilbert Anoka, the the head coach um, at the All Blacks for the last 20 years. Those guys really challenged us, and other ones that realised that we... We weren't dealing with pressure and walking towards pressure like we should. You need the tools to be able to perform under pressure, and and that's what they provided. So when I first started playing for the All Blacks, if you went and saw a psychiatrist or a head coach, you know your teammates would look at you and they'd think, "Are you okay, mate? Is is everything all right?" Um, You know, like it's something you wouldn't do. You know, you fast forward to today's era, if you're not seeing the the head coach, the psychologist, team psychologist, then the guys are looking at you going, why not? Do you not want the best out of you? So something that Kerry introduced to the team was around your state of mind. So when you're under pressure, you can go into a state of redhead where you, where you lose control, you're not clear, you're not calm, you're not thinking properly or you can go blue, uh, state of blue head. That blue is, you know, you're calm, clear, your decision-making is all on track. And, and as a number 10 in the game, I needed to be in a state of blue head as much as possible. Now, you need to realize that you can never go through a game of rugby and not go into a redhead state. It's just, it's just a, a natural thing. But the key is recognizing when you are in red and the ability to get back into blue as fast as possible so when you're in a red state of mind you can freeze fight or flight so if you're freezing um, which happened to a lot of the all blacks in 2007 when the french were absolutely on fire in a playoff game uh, we're down on the scoreboard you know you're not getting the decisions that you're expecting to from the referee you're playing against uh, this team that are just absolutely on fire a lot of the team froze Okay, so they were looking at each other for answers, the communication was poor, and we started playing within ourselves. There are other parts of the team that would go into a state of uh, flight. So all of a sudden, they wanted to get, get out of there, or all of a sudden, their hammies were a bit tight or an injury, and they just wanted to get off the field. And then there's a couple of the other boys that were going into a state of fight, Okay, and we all know those players, they're, they're arguing at the referee, they're actually looking for a scrap on the field. Um, all of those three things, you're not clear in your mind. Okay, So you need to recognize when you are in a state of blue head and then the ability to transform and get yourself into that, that blue state as fast as possible is the key. So techniques like breathing were, were really important for me. Also things when I'd make a mistake early in my career, I would run around for the next five, 10 minutes thinking, don't make that same mistake. Or oh, why did you make that poor pass? Or I'll be at the back of my run-up about to kick a conversion, go, hey, look, you've, you've just missed the last two kicks. You better not miss this one. All of these things that are completely out of my control. So I used to, have, to, to try and control the, that uh, person inside my head i would need to go external something outside of my body to, to get myself back on track to get back into a state of blue so if you saw me make a mistake in a game you'd often see me whack my leg okay i'd whack my leg and go next task i need to i need to be present and focus on the next task so i'd stop thinking about the future or the result or or the outcome focused and i'd stop thinking about the past something that's just happened Okay, I was living in the now, in the present, and you know that that was really. Re-
0: well, can I just ask, yeah. Dan, what's that? What's that physical movement about then? What the whacking of the leg? What what does that do f- for you?
1: Basically, it just it's, it's a signal to my brain to say next task. So, I whack my leg. Next task, and all of a sudden, I go right. What's my next task? Okay, run to the, run to the next mall. Okay, talk to my number twelve, and actually goes you into what's the process. Uh, rather than than the outcome. A,
0: a cynic would say, like, I'm in a really high-pressure situation at work or an issue at home. You know, does that stuff really work? And you can obviously explain to us that in the pressure of a, a cauldron like an All Blacks game or any professional rugby match, it genuinely
1: oh, you, works. You probably don't want to be go around work-whacking yourself. Um, <laughs> you look like a bit <laughs> of a fool. So what I used to do at the back of my run-up um, when I was kicking a goal in front of 80,000 people... You know, the last thing I want to be thinking at the back of my run up is like, oh my God, 80,000 people are all watching me. What if I miss? I can't miss. I've just missed the last two. What if I miss three in a row? So instead of whacking myself, I needed to go external to, to get that thought out of my mind. So I'd start pushing my toes and the end of my boots into the ground for a couple of seconds. I was like, okay, cool. I can feel the grass at the end of my toes. Okay. And then I'll tell myself, okay, breathe. And then all of a sudden, for five seconds, I haven't thought about missing the kick or all the people that are watching me. So I go back to my routine, breathe, visualize the ball going through. So that was something that would really help me get back on track and just reminding myself to, to just live in the now. Okay, Control the things that are directly in front of you now. Um, and that's where the whole um, process focus rather than outcome focus really
3: helped. So, what percentage difference, Dan? Would you say that this added to your game? Because you were already regarded as an exceptional player before you started this this kind of discussion. So, what would you say this added to you? I think it it gave me
1: longevity in my career. You know, that early in my career, I was I was playing with instincts. I was young. I was naive. I was getting away with a lot of just being young and and playing. Um, but all of a sudden. The more you play, that the more you, you know, the opponents, you know, start to work you out and and distract you and put you off your game and understand your game really well. So there's a part of me that wish that I started putting more time and, and emphasis on my mental side of the game earlier in my career, but I think that was a big part of the second half of my career as working really closely with uh, Kerry and and Gilbert. And, and also just that ability to to be able to control my mind push myself it was a big part of the reason that i played for so for so long and was able to to stay in control in those high pressured situations was that mental strengthening work that i was doing throughout the week
0: but can i ask you a, a different technique um you've you've mentioned walking towards pressure walking towards fear and there's no doubt you know there's a lot of fear wrapped up in being a professional athlete and competing with so many eyeballs on you this is kind of different isn't it to thinking about missing something or messing something up what's what was the technique you learned to walk towards those high pressure situations
1: a, l- a lot of people live with the fear of failure um, and we had an amazing environment in the all blacks that they didn't mind if you, you made mistakes they would mind if you didn't take the opportunity you know, so, and, and there's quite a difference there. So actually, if you see something and you back yourself, go for it. So then you work out, okay, we made a mistake. So was it a mistake because of execution or was it a mistake through a, a poor decision? Okay. And if it was a poor decision because you, you didn't back yourself or, you know, you, you played it safe, then they didn't like that. But if it was just a simple execution, like you just, it would, you dropped the ball, okay? but it was the right decision, then I'd really encourage that. So, you know, we had some incredible coaches that really drove that in the environment. So if we're playing right in front of our own, you know, in our own half, in our defensive line, and we saw an opportunity and we went for that opportunity, but we made a, we made a mistake, okay? A lot of coaches would go, you're not supposed to play on that end of the field, okay? You're supposed to kick the ball and a percentage play. Our coach was like, no. You saw the opportunity. That's fantastic. Now we just got to fine tune the the skill set to be able to execute because we want you to be able to play what you see and make those decisions out on the field. So um, I think the environment was was a big part of giving us the encouragement to to express ourselves, to, to go out there and and not have a fear of failure. We're just going out there to express ourselves and and. Uh, you know, and perform the best we possibly can. And, and if mistakes do happen, you learn from them. That's the most important thing. You know, a lot of people go, oh, all doom and gloom after a loss. And, and you know, it was like that uh, you f- for a certain amount of time. And then you learn and you use that as ammo to, um, to perform even better.
3: So when you discuss the environment, Dan, this is obviously one of the most famous aspects of that all black culture and one of the uh, elements that intrigues us is your no dickhead policy. So how would you describe a dickhead? Uh, and secondly, how would you deal with one? Should uh, so should they emerge in your environment?
1: Yeah, it's another huge part of, of um, high performance is, is culture. And you need to, to build an amazing culture. And I think at the All Blacks, we have one of the best cultures um in sporting history you know the the success shows it's one of the most successful sporting teams in in the history of sport and it's incredible and it's not until you leave that environment that you realize how unique and how special that environment is and yeah i guess one of the policies no dickheads um comes off the fact of if you're in that environment and you're really selfish, and you're playing for yourself. Then you're not going to last. We had a saying: "Better people make better All Blacks." So often, if you've got an absolute rock star of a player, but he's not fitting into the team culture, he's not working towards the the team vision, he's taking shortcuts, he's um, just playing for the wrong reasons, and does not fitting into the group, then they'll always select the other player, you know, that the better people make better All Blacks. So a lot of people were selected on, on the type of people that they were.
3: So can I ask a question on this, Dan? Because there'll be lots of people listening to this that maybe work with characters that they recognize that kind of selfish nature, but they don't have the chance to drop them or get rid of them from their environment. So how would you advise people listening to this on how do you deal with that kind of selfish dickhead behavior? Uh, and get people to maybe think about changing their ways?
1: I think a lot of it is around um, the the team purpose. Like, What's the team vision? Okay, Uh, for us, we had an incredible vision in 2011 where we just won the World Cup and we wanted to be the most dominant team in the history of world rugby. Okay, so you've got a clear vision that the team's working towards. It's not actually a vision that you'll reach one day you know, you, something you'll strive towards, you'll walk towards, but you'll never actually put the flag in the ground and go, yeah, we're the most dominant team in the history of world rugby. You know, that's for other people to to determine. And if you're in that conversation, you're doing something well. But then within the team purpose and vision, it's really important that every person has a personal purpose. What's their purpose? Why are they there? And how does that fit into the team purpose? So we used to spend a lot of time on sharing our personal purpose with our coaches, our management. So they knew exactly where you would fit in. And if someone wasn't fitting in, then it's one of the most difficult conversations you can have. But if you've got a, a culture of just beating around the bush and, and, and not able to, to confront your, your teammates. Um, so we had a really strong leadership group and we would always be challenging the players we're always challenging the coaches and, and vice versa so you're in an environment where you can can stand up and, and have those really difficult conversations and you, you're not doing it because it's a, it's a personal attack you're doing it for the better of the team so going back to your your, your team vision these conversations are happening because you care so much about the team okay so I'm having this conversation with you because what's best for the team? So all your decision making needs to to be around that. And you know, we, we had an environment where if guys were we used to call a hot dogging, you know, if they were hot dogging a little bit too much, um you know, and and it was it was actually something really lighthearted. You know, it was you know someone's hot dogging on social media. You know, you'd kind of put it up, and you know, before your team meetings, and okay, look, he's doing a a shirtless a shirtless photo, and even though that's fun and humorous, and guys would laugh and you're taking the Mickey out of each other, there was an underlying fact: It was like, come on, let's you know, team first. So there was there a real, um, you know, a real thing in about making sure that you know, the team comes first. I know that that's not an example of someone being a
0: dickie. That's actually just a lighthearted way of saying, hey, come on, let's put the team first. I like that though, hot dogging. But this kind of leads us into an interesting conversation about personal goals and personal ambitions in a team environment. Like it was still cool, wasn't it, for you to want good stuff for yourself within that team environment. That was okay?
1: Yeah, well, that's that all comes down to your personal purpose. And I, I stumbled across my personal purpose. And it was, looking back now, I'm just so grateful that I had that vision, that purpose. And that came about when I walked off the field in 2003 after playing my first test for the All Blacks. So if I rewind back to uh, a five-year-old, Dan Carter, it was the inaugural Rugby World Cup. It was here in New Zealand, co-hosted with Australia one of the first games the All blacks played Italy and from one of the kickoffs John Cohen got the ball he beat 11 players to score this incredible try it was one of the most amazing tries and as a little five-year-old kid I'm like man he's my hero so I went straight outside and I was pretending to score tries like John Cohen now the All blacks went on to to win that World Cup and I remember watching David Kirk who was captain in that game holding the William Webb Ellis cup above his head and as a five-year-old I I don't remember a lot from when I was five years old, to be honest, but I remember that moment of going, I want to be an all black. This is my dream. Now, I never actually thought it would happen. I grew up in a little town of only 700 people. So in my opinion, as a five-year-old, I thought all blacks aren't supposed to come from these these little villages of only 700 people. So anyway, I love rugby so much. I did it because it was fun. All my mates were doing it. I was okay at it. I was never the best. And then all of a sudden through hard work and a lot of sacrifice, I became an all black, played my, my debut against Wales in 2003. And all of a sudden my dream had become a reality. And I walked off that field and I was like, is that it? Man, that was the most incredible feeling. But I don't want this feeling to ever end like i don't want to be just another all black where i play three or four games i don't want to be an all black that plays one season i want to be an all black great and and here i was thinking this after playing 80 minutes like why should i be thinking that i want to be an all black great but once again similar to that vision that the all blacks had in 2011 it was Vision that I had, and I was like, Well, what does an an all black great look like? What does he do? Well, one, he's got to have a a stronger work ethic than all his uh, competition and, and his teammates, he's got to be hardworking. You have to sacrifice a lot. You know, I was twenty years old, so a lot of my friends were at university and enjoying themselves. So that's what an All Black great looks like. An All Black great—you can't be an All Black great after four or five years. You have to have a career over ten years. So you need to evolve as a player. You can't just be this one-dimensional player if you want to be playing um, with a career over ten years. So there are a whole lot of things that was really driving me from that moment. So every day I got out of bed. So what is a does an all black great do it just sparked this real growth mindset in me i just right i'm just going to use every day to try and be the best let's just try and get better every single day and you know obviously my my career finished in 2015 and i'm never going to sit here and go yeah, I achieved my goal. Yeah, I achieved my my vision of an all-black grade. You know, all of a sudden, once again, you're in that conversation. So it means you must have had, you know, a successful career. So the importance of that personal purpose, and I think that purpose really fit into the all-black uh, vision, because the all-black vision, as soon as you became an all-black, you had to look where the all-blacks came from, this incredible history of over 100 years, so successful. So we called it our papa. like, where have you come from? your belonging. There's an excellent book called Belonging by Owen Eastwood. And um, he talks a lot about that, actually looking back at where you've come from to know where you're going. So as an All Black, as soon as you come into the environment, you soon learn this incredible history. So your one job while you're an All Black is to add to the legacy. You're just a custodian of the All Black jersey. So when you finished your role, you have to leave it in a better place than you got Before it, so that was that was my mission in the All Blacks, is to when I do finish, I want to add to the legacy, and I felt like I was able to do that, and there was some great synergies between my personal vision of wanting to be a great All Black and and the, I guess the the mission of of every All Black of trying to add to the legacy.
3: But what you're describing there, Dan, in terms of uh, the consistency of what you did every day for so long, is the bit that really intrigues me because. There's that great saying that if you're good, you'll get it, but if you're consistent, you'll keep it. And you did for so long. So, how did you avoid getting tired or bored or disillusioned with asking yourself that question? What techniques did you use to maintain such brilliant consistency?
1: It's all about having structure in my week. So you you look at the vision of wanting to be, to be an all black great. Okay, that's ten years plus. That's something you you walk towards, but You write that in my, I'd write it in my book at the start of each year. That's actually something I wanted to see every day when I open my book. Um, But then you bring it back. Okay. What does this year look like? So you break down your year. What what are the goals that you want to achieve this year, this season? And then you bring it down. Okay. Well, what competition am I I in? Super rugby. Okay. What goals do you want to achieve in super rugby? And then I bring it into the week. Okay. Well, what is my week going to look like? So, And then I'd break it down to what does every day going to look like? So every Sunday, I'd write down, okay, Monday, I'm doing this. Tuesday, I'm doing this. Wednesday is my day off. I'm actually, I'm going to do this. You know, I don't want to waste any day, even my recovery days. I'd write down, right, I'm going to do swimming recovery, right, I'm going to get a massage, right, I'm going to use the afternoon to unwind, actually do some hobbies that I want. Okay, after dinner, I'm going to spend half an hour just in, in my playbook, you know, just Getting upskilled in the game plan some more, so I was really strict in my preparation, and and I think that was a big part of of my success and 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 my drive, and it's something I've actually taken into to life after rugby. You know, I get to my Sunday and I just don't want to waste any day. I, I really want to to plan each day, and just going back to that saying, have a growth mindset of I just want to get better each day.
0: So, do you still keep a notebook? I do. Yeah, it's uh, it's right here actually. So. Yeah, write it. Write it down. So th- this is what this is what's interesting. For, I mean, look, it's very personal. The stuff you've got on there. People listening to this will go, yeah, "Yeah, I understand." Dan Carter kept a notebook because it's easy to say handling skills for thirty minutes and then have a sleep for an hour. Then have a massage. You know, in the world of professional sport, making notes to formulate your day kind of makes sense. Would you mind sharing with us some of the things you put in your notebook now as a non-professional sports person that? that we can all relate to because I'm listening to this thinking I need to get a notebook (laughs) and I need to write in that because, because the life I live is exactly the same. I imagine as the life that 99.9% of people listening to this podcast live, which is kind of, I know I've got two things in my day and the rest of it, the school run and the lunch, it will all kind of work itself out as I go through. So what do you write in your notebook now?
1: Yeah, it's 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 a good point. And even at the end of my career, a lot of the young guys were doing it all on their iPads and here I was this dinosaur. I'm <laughs> quite old school like that. Just really something about writing it down. As soon as you you write it down, it's the same with my goals. It's I have to do it. You know? I'm a firm believer of you do the work and you earn yourself a beer at the end of the week. And and I was always going into a game, you so I was nervous but it was okay to be nervous because I've done the preparation. So now that I've finished playing, I can actually enjoy my beer at the end of the week. And I'll tell you what, I'm not going to enjoy it if I've cut corners and not done some of the things. So obviously I plan out you know, what meetings I have, what commitments, but also little, just little comments like um, keep smiling, a gratitude book. So what am I grateful for oh, today? Oh. So I always do that. Um, that that's, what
0: sort of things do you have in your, in your gratitude list? Oh,
1: a lot of it's around family. You know, that's so easy to have a, a, a negative mindset. So, you know, I'm actually grateful for the incredible dinner we had tonight. I'm grateful for uh, the kids making me laugh uh, all afternoon, wow. um, little things like that. So, and you write that stuff down as well. Yeah, that's in another book. Here it is. It's my great
3: gratitude book. Um, and can I ask, where did you learn this, Dan, and what benefits does that give you? I think it just really helps you, your mindset,
1: you know. It, it can be really easy to get into a, a negative mindset but if you're focusing on things that you're grateful for it's it, it makes a world of difference so there was a coach Wayne Smith probably the best coach that uh, that I've ever had you know he, he's a big part of the reason that I, I played for 18 years dragging me to to Japan after we stint I had to play a couple of seasons in Japan purely just so I could play under him for a couple more years and he was really big on gratitude, even in the all-black environment, you know, dealing with pressure. You know, we would just take a step back. And go, hey guys, look, we're doing what we love, we're representing our country. How lucky are we? You know, when when some days you could wake up and go, Oh man, I just don't really feel like training today. Oh man, it's it's Thursday training. That's one of the most physical trainings of the week. This is gonna be tough. Actually, just taking a step back and and working on on your gratitude. Is really important. He was huge on structuring your week. So I'd know how many kicks I'm having um, throughout the week before the even kicking sessions. Um, You know, I'd put numbers on them. So it just helped me be really disciplined. You know, it's not like, oh, I'll go have a kicking session today, I'll just see how I feel and then go for it miss a few, you end up kicking for an hour and a half, your quad's tight because you you weren't disciplined. Where if I know I'm going there, I'm having 10 kicks from these positions, I go out there, I do it. If I miss all 10, it doesn't matter, I stop because I know that next day that I go, I'll, you know, so that was that was a big part of, of my
0: preparation. And what would you say to people who are inspired by this, but then they don't have, they say to themselves, I haven't got the time to be making notes in a burger – What's your message to those people? You just got to find time. Seriously, I've got four young kids and we're just talking about it
1: um, before the show. You know, And it, it is really challenged. The last thing I feel like doing on a Sunday evening after a, a weekend of playing Uber driver to the kids' sport and, and looking after them, it's, it's tiring. But the rewards that you get from the disciplined thinking and disciplined behaviours far exceed the just cruising through life. And I, I guess... It, comes down to to what you want in life really and and for me these things i've learned through my rugby career you know i kind of i call them the art of winning you know and and in life we all want to win you know we we want to be successful we want to do well we want to enjoy our life so there are certain things and you have to find out what those are for you that they're going to help you help you win and for me that process it only takes 30 minutes is a huge one for me
0: And how has all this informed your parenting now as you say you've you've got four children
1: um I'm still learning um that's probably one of the most challenging things uh I think you know when you go into, into parenting, you automatically look at what your parents were like and they they set the example for um for you and something that I had with with my parents I was so lucky they were very supportive okay that they, they weren't sort of cracking a whip saying right you're playing rugby you're us. you know like they were just really supportive they were always there so that's the same for me As a big part of the reason why i decided to hang out the boots because they were at an age where they would know whether i'm around or not and they just wanted me they want to be home um, so being really supportive uh, good role model you know they copy everything that uh, you, you say or do so setting you know good behaviors for, for them to follow but more about just just supporting them, just being there, encouraging them, to be honest.
0: And how old are they, Dan?
1: Eight, six, two, and three months. So they're young. So I'm still learning, man. Like every day is a new challenge. So to all those parents out there, you know, mad respect. And um, it is, you're learning new stuff every day. So not necessarily everything that I took from the sporting career uh, relates to looking after to young children. So it's a completely... New and exciting challenge, which I'm loving.
0: But do you talk about being focused on the process, not the outcome? Do you talk to them about the note making and why you do it and why it's important for you, and encourage them and the gratitude book, especially? I mean, okay, um, a three month old and a two year old, we'll let them off, but I think at eight and six, that feel I've got identical age children, it feels a good age to start talking about gratitude, recognizing it, maybe even noting it down.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't to be honest. So I'm kind of just letting them learn that like i just go back to me as a six-year-old and eight-year-old i wasn't writing things around gratitude i often prompt them you know what are you thankful for today you know i don't know you know and he's kind of
0: it's always i don't know isn't it yeah
1: you just probe them a little bit more and and they kind of realize i think they're still too young and they're still evolving um but there'll be a certain time where you know i would love to to share the kind of discipline that they're really good anyway Um, to to be honest they're they're very driven my wife was a hockey player for the black sticks the the new zealand hockey team um you know went to commonwealth games so they're extremely competitive they're extremely sporty the values that you get from sport uh, are enormous so there's no pressure on them to to play sport um, to play hockey or, or rugby but you know we want them to to be sporty and and they are and they're learning great values through that. But I just I don't want to to be pushing them, hey, you need to be doing this, you need to be writing notes, you need to be planning your week. They're just they're just kids and and I'm happy just
3: to come be there and support them in, in whatever way at the moment. But I think a really quiet virtue of everything that you've been preaching today, Dan, is about patience that you've spoken about, this idea that not taking shortcuts for instant results and being patient and following the process and not getting caught up in the outcome. And yet your children, like ours, are going to grow up in a society of seeing instant success, whether this is on social media or those kind of perceptions. So can you give us some tips on how you're going to advocate the importance of being patient and following the process to them? A lot of it's,
1: (laughs) I don't have the complete answer, but the first thing I kind of think about with that is, Just to make sure that they enjoy the journey to to understand life isn't perfect you're going to have good days you're going to have bad days and that was just like sport um, professional sport you know no one lives in this perfect world you're going to have success you're going to have failures uh, to make sure that you you learn from those and that's been probably one of the challenging things is for my two older boys to understand that they're not going to win every time and they used to be in tears um, in tears after their game of futsal or or rugby in the weekend because they lost. Um, so just teaching them that it's, it's okay and just to uh, make sure they go out there and give it their best. Uh, that's what you can really ask for and and just to enjoy the journey. To, and I think that goes for, for life in general. It's, it's not a perfect world we live in. You're going to have days that... You know are really challenging and it was exactly like that in in the, in the sporting world you know so you, when you do have bad days you you accept it you don't want it but it's just part of that journey and you know that times will turn and just to, that's why i just spent so much time on that that gratitude and and really just actually appreciating the little things in life the good things Um, because we can often focus on on all the negative things and that can be you know quite overpowering at times so just enjoying the journey I think is really important.
3: Because that fits with some of the notebooks I've seen when you've been writing say a game plan before the World Cup final in 2015 I love the fact that the last note you wrote to yourself was enjoy it but how common was that mindset that you had amongst others like when we have this idea that you should have like a serious looking face on or you should be showing how passionate you are when you're preaching that kind of message. How common did you find that amongst teammates? Everyone's different.
1: And to be honest, I didn't look at many of the other teammates, what they'd write. And rugby is an interesting sport because in my position, I needed a really clear head Whereas a lot of the front rowers were were listening to Metallica, Rage Against the Machine, they were like really they needed to put their head in a really dark place with their you know physical presence. They knew that they were going to put their body on the line and be sore for days after each game, so they needed to suck themselves up. So I'm sure their messaging would be very different to my enjoy keep smiling, um, all that kind of stuff. But that was just a personal way for me to to make sure that I'm clear. So at the end of my week and the morning of the game, I'd always just put three things, okay? Something like work rate, accelerate, accuracy, and then enjoy. You know, I'd always, I'd always finish with it enjoy or keep smiling. It was honestly those two were all the ones that were always in there and just kind of overcapped everything. And in the game, in the heat of the moment, it's not always enjoyable because you're under pressure, but it just takes you back to... It is just a sport and you know that if you put that time and effort in, you're going to enjoy it. My most precious time in the sporting field was at the end of the battle, You're sitting in the changing room, you're eyeballing your teammates and you go, yeah, we did it you can kind of unwind, but you know that you've gone to war together. You both put your body on the line and that satisfaction of giving it everything you've got was That's probably one of the things that I miss the most uh, about not playing has been in that team changing room uh, after a game, knowing you've just gone to war with with some of your best mates.
3: I love the story at the end of your career when you went back and played for your, uh, your local team where you'd first started from. What advice would you have given to a young Dan Carter if you'd have shared a dressing room, like the older version of you with the young guy just starting out then? It's a it's a question,
1: you know, that that I often ask myself. Oh, man, if I had all this knowledge as a young 18, 19-year-old, what would have I done differently? And to be honest, there's, the reason that I am the man I am today was – was the journey that I went on. It wasn't all perfect. I had a lot of serious injuries, a lot of resilience that I had to deal with, some serious losses at World Cups. Um, It was all part of the journey. That's why I was talking about just enjoying the journey. Um, I've talked a little bit about the mental side of the sport, the importance of controlling your mind. And I think even in today's society, you know, with social media, the pressure that young kids have more something I'm sort of inspired by is actually just helping the kids of today to to have the tools to be able to prepare themselves for for those difficult times. Like, I still feel like I was so lucky to have the childhood that I did. There wasn't a lot of pressure, you know, we'd, we'd walk to school, we'd walk home from school, we'd play sport all day. Um, but the pressure that I see that sort of my kids living in today's society is, is so much harder. And I feel like I was able to learn some amazing tools of around resilience and, and gratitude and, and being kind and uh, humility, that they're really important values that can, can really help, um, you know, steer younger people too.
0: And now that you're no longer in the rugby world um, as a player, what is your purpose now? We have a phrase on the podcast called infinite purpose given to us by um, an entrepreneur called Susie Marr, which is great because it's kind of a purpose with no end. So how would you describe yours now?
1: It's, it's a process that I went through earlier in the year. So I hung up my boots and I always knew what my purpose was from that first test match to the day I retired, which was February earlier this year, to be the best rugby player I could, to be an all-black great. And that's what was driving me every time I got out of bed. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden you take that away. It was one of the most hardest things that I've ever had to do. Oh, I'd lost my purpose. So I actually went through a six-month repurposing process with a guy, Kevin Roberts, who was the old CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi. And he really challenged me. It was quite confronting. And to be honest, I'm still learning a bit about it, but he really broke it down. like What's my character? What are my beliefs? What are my values? It was something that I wish almost every sports person when they finish went through because it was one of the most rewarding things that I went through just actually figuring out what is it that I loved rugby that I'd love to take to the next part of my life what is it that actually I really care about that I want to drive my life forward and I'm actually really excited about this next chapter in my life because there's a part of me that finished my rugby I was like oh man I'm, I'm uneducated I never got the chance to go to university I've only known rugby all my life but then I take a step back and I was like some of the values and traits that you've learned through playing professional sport for 18 years actually work in business actually work in, in life and I, I think a lot around our resilience is is something huge um, the, the performing under pressure like I've talked about in, in business, building a culture uh, in business as well—that's that, it's that's really huge. It Wasn't until 2000, I think it was 18. I was playing over in France, and I did q and A, a Q&A in front of all the general managers from Louis Vuitton. They are all in Paris, and I got up and I did a Q and A, and it was with it was with the guy that wrote the book Legacy. And James yeah. So it's James and I sitting there and we're doing a QA about the all black culture. And we're just talking about those points, performing under pressure, uh humility, uh, resilience, all these things. And and we walked away from that. I was like, actually, a whole lot of those values work in life outside of sport as well, and life in general, but also in, in business. And that's when I realized how lucky I was to have this career and be part of the all black environment and being able to learn all these incredible things and and now I feel like I'm in such a fortunate position that sport has given me this and rugby in particular has given me this life I live so now I feel like I'd love to be able to give back I'd love to to mentor um, younger people so I have recently started doing some some work with the Oxford University the Oxford Foundry You know, a leader in practice where I do an online learning program for the students to be able to access all around the things that we've talked about in this podcast. Um, Also doing some work with underprivileged children to to be able to give back and help them give the best start. So I think that whole art of winning that I learned, and now I would love to drive that forward in my next stage of life and exactly how that looks, that's the... What I'm working working towards, but actually using my knowledge, using my experience um, through business, both here in New Zealand and internationally, and also that that excitement of being able to to give back as well, is, is something that I'm pretty passionate about.
3: So, Dan, would you share some of the most helpful questions that Kevin Roberts did ask you in that repurposing exercise that our listeners could maybe ask themselves?
1: Yep, I think it's it's important to to know what your character is, you know, and that that's, can be quite challenging, like who are you and, and what do you believe in, what are your beliefs? And as soon as you kind of work out that structure, then it kind of shapes to 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 the person that you are. So I think it's really important to know who you
0: are and what you believe in. And when you say what you believe in, like the kind of people you want in your life or whether you're religious or not, whether the kindness matters that that you talking about that kind of thing you
1: know, i'll give some examples for me so some of my beliefs are: work conquers all you know for me it's all about work ethic another one for me is you know a value of mine is i've already talked about it and i shouldn't be talking about it on here but you know it's like uh, earning your beer so you know so actually doing the work um earning your beer and knowing that good enough is never good enough you know be the best you know so for some people they're quite happy with mediocrity and you know it's like okay they're just happy just cruising through life for me that kills me
3: good is the enemy of great Dan That's yeah it.
1: exactly yeah so I'm um, just working out what those are those values are to you that when you go through life it's like okay what well, am I living those you know are you the hardest worker in the room are you doing all those things. I think it's, it's really important. And also working out what you've done before and what are things that really excite you, you know, taking those little points out, you know.
3: Yeah, we have a phrase on the podcast, Dan, that we often refer to it as success leaves clues. And when you've had a career like yours, there's lots of evidence of what has led you to be successful. And it's a, it sounds like you're discovering some of those clues that you've left behind.
1: I've always thought that when I finish playing rugby, right, that's it, I'm done, um, I'll just move on to whatever's next. But actually, when I do take a moment to step back and look back, there were certain parts of that that I thrived on, and I need that for the, my next um, chapter in life.
0: It's been such an interesting conversation, because you know, we all look from the outside and think that when you're a professional athlete, and you're a professional athlete as hardworking and as talented as you, everything comes easy, but I think it's been so interesting hearing just the level of thought and detail that went into doing what you did. Um, did you find that others needed to do the same or did you look at other players and think, wow, like you're just sitting there having a laugh two minutes before a massive test because that works for you and, you know, you're cruising through it and, and, and you have to go to these sort of great lengths really.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I might be, at, you know, one end of, you know, the extreme. Um, but there are players that I've played alongside. Um, you know, Captain Richie McCaw, he was even worse than me. When I say worse, like even more planned and detailed, he knew exactly where he was going. He reminds me so much of Michael Jordan in The Last Dance. Like that, that's where he was going, was for greatness. You know, there's a great book, Jim Collins, Good to Great. Okay, so, you know, some, some great learnings there, how to get to great. But I think the people that separate themselves are the people that go from great to great again you know and that's one of the most challenging things because when you have success subconsciously deep inside you you can relax okay and then it's actually harder to to perform and go again and we didn't want to do that as a team and that's when we really found out that actually the importance of your purpose the importance of the team values and vision is what's going to drive you and and going back to that point in, in 2011, after 24 years, we'd finally won a World Cup and we'd been the number one team for so long. And we'd gone from good to great. Okay, all of a sudden we're a great team. We're a World Cup winning team. Now, history shows whoever wins the Rugby World Cup, their following season is poor because subconsciously they've been working so hard for that moment. They've achieved it. They're getting all the accolades. They relax. When time gets tough the following year, subconsciously, they go, doesn't really matter. Um, We won last year. We achieved greatness. The greatest of all time, the people that create legacies go from great to, to great again. And that's exactly what we wanted to do after 2011. The leadership group, Steve Hansen, I still remember, goes, right, it's not about just winning another World Cup. It's not about just having a good year next year post this. It's actually about doing something so unique and so special and something that's going to drive this whole team forward. And he goes, let's be the most dominant team in the history of world rugby. And as a humble Kiwi, you hear that, you're like, no way. Who are we to think that we can be that? All of a sudden, you get over that, you go, well, actually, we're never going to achieve it. That's what that's going to inspire us. That's what's going to drive us. So what does that look like? Does the greatest team in the history of world rugby have a poor year after winning a world cup no so 2012 was a huge year for us hugely successful does the greatest most dominant team in the history of world rugby win back-to-back world cups of course they do you know but at 2015 you don't just stop there you keep going so all of a sudden we were the number one team in the world for nine years all off the back of our vision and so we get to 2015, we create history with the first all-black team to win a World Cup outside of New Zealand. With the first team in history to win back-to-back World Cups. You could say, right, 2016, we've just lost seven of the key players. I'd finished playing Richie. There were seven guys that played over 100 test matches, left the team. Subconsciously, in 2016, they could relax, but that wasn't the team's vision. So what did they do? I think they went undefeated that year. 2017, they lost one game. You know, so the power of having um, a really strong purpose and, and actually having having that drive is, is really you know really important.
3: So can I ask you a question, Dan, around culturally on this? Because I did a, the, like what you're describing there. I'm I'm getting uh, echoes of a book I wrote uh, a few years ago about a boxing champion called Marvin Hagler that had the idea that when you're the champion, you need to prepare like you're the challenger. So he would do things like he would describe about, he would put himself in a prison for training camp where he, so he'd take away luxuries so that he felt like he was really having to still scrap and strive rather than feeling he'd arrived at being a champion. What kind of things did you do beyond having the purpose and vision amongst that group to still keep that challenger mentality of wanting to be dominant without getting uh, seduced by the trappings of success.
1: It's a great point because you never want to be looking over your shoulder and going, oh, they're catching us or they're after us. And, you know, you you see it with some guys, they're like, oh, man, I just wish we had an easy game. And as an All Black, when you're the number one team in the world and everyone's chasing you, there's no such thing as an easy game. You know, if a team beats the number one team in the world, you made their season. You know, that's all they want. They're always going to have their best game against the number one team in the world. And that's something that South Africa are experiencing now. They're the world champions, so everyone wants to strive to beat the world champions. You know, so all of a sudden you can look at it as the world champion and go, "Oh man, just just let us have an easy game once." Man, I wish our opposition would just have a poor game for once, but. That's not what you want. You need to embrace that and go, bring it on. It's all about going back to that pressure, you know, walking towards that. This is great. Like we're on our own destiny. You know, they have to do something completely miraculous to try and go where we're going. Yeah, you're going to have, um, make mistakes, you're going to have upsets, you're going to have losses, but we're moving in this 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 direction. So just one thing, knowing that, your opponents that are going to be up for every game, but just having that growth mindset of just doing what you can every single day, every game, to make sure you are
0: got that growth mindset and just striving to get better each day. So good and so valuable for people across so many different sectors, not just in sport.
3: It's interesting, Jake, isn't it? I was going to say, it, it, just, just for your reference, Dan, that... We interviewed um, Paul McGinley who was a captain of the European Ryder Cup team and he recounts the advice when he went to see Sir Alex Ferguson and Ferguson had spoke to him about always be the hunter, not the hunted. So always set your own targets so you're going after your own goals rather than allowing yourself to be the uh, other people's targets and it sounds very much like you'd set your own target of being the hunters.
1: Yeah, well and truly and... We started looking at different sports as well. Like We wanted to to be creating history. If it was just about being the number one team in the world, it's, it's that's okay if you're number two or number three or number four or number five. It's okay to have that drive to, to be number one team in the world. But when you are in front, what is it next? Okay, well, hold on. Tiger Woods, he was one of the most athletes that was number one golfer in the world over a long period of time. I can't remember how many years it was. So okay, well let's try and and we'd almost have like little goals that we try and get to. Okay, I think the Spain football team was successful for about three years. So when we became number one, we go okay, we've just overtaken them. Okay, Tiger Woods was number one. So all of a sudden, you're comparing yourself to other other sporting teams or or athletes that have done incredible things, and all of a sudden, you're on your own journey because you're chasing them. You're chasing other people and it's it's not about the people chasing you anymore you you you're striving for greatness.
0: And people might before we move on to our sort of quick fire questions to finish with people might think that this approach to life of the the note taking and the the constant checking and questioning and making sure you're on the right track. People might think it's exhausting. For you is this where your energy lies?
1: Yeah it does but I'm a firm believer of balance as well and that's why I would write down my week because I didn't want to get to my day off and just think about rugby all day. So I'd spend however many hours I write down, right, go do some shopping, right, spend some time with family. So I knew that I had time where I was doing things that I loved and could just take my mind off it. I think it's important that it's not all absorbing and that's your focus for 24-7. When you're in the moment, you're at training or you're in your notebook, that's where your mind is, but then you need times where you just switch off. And and I had certain things in my career. So you, you need to enjoy it. You need balance. But that's striving for excellence is something that was really driving me.
0: Okay. Time for our quick fire questions to finish with, Dan. First of all, your three non-negotiable behaviors that you and the people around you must buy into.
1: Work ethic is a big one for me. Reliability. I just need to know that people can rely on me and I can, can rely on on them. And I think trust, that's one of the biggest ones is you don't have to do it all yourself. You need to trust the people around you and they need to be able to trust you that you're going to deliver.
3: If you could go back to one moment in your life, what would it be and why?
1: It just seems like it was yesterday, but that moment that I explained in 2003, where I walked off the field and I had that vision of wanting to be an all black grade. I think that was one of the most biggest turning points in my career and the reason that I had the, the success and, and the career that I did today and I'd just love to go back to that moment and, and, and relive it.
0: Very nice. How important is legacy to you?
1: It's huge. It's, it's the difference between just being a, a good player and actually inspiring people that are going to come after you. So I go back to my five-year-old kid. I was inspired by Not the All Blacks, but like these All Black legends and, you know, the legacy that they created. So for me, you know, it's not about just achieving a couple of things, it's about leaving a legacy that you can be proud of and that you can inspire the next generation.
3: Is there a book, a podcast series or a TV program that you'd advise any of our listeners to absorb?
1: There was something that resonated with me around The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan, and I feel like there's only a few athletes in the world that have that mentality, and that is, and I've already talked about Richie McCaw having having that. He was, he was one, but to see sort of his mentality about he knew where he wanted to go and where he was going to take that team was as an athlete. You just look at it and go, that was incredible to have that, that mental strength that, that he did, no matter what was put in front of him. Nothing, absolutely nothing was going to get in his way.
0: Wonderful. And the final question, and I guess in many ways, this is your f- final message to the people that have tuned into this podcast. Um, it's your one golden rule, really, to living a high performance life.
1: To enjoy it. I know it's all quite serious some of the things that I've I've talked about but I've loved every minute. So you need to make sure that whichever direction you're going in life is to make sure you've got elements of enjoyment all through it. You know, if you're stuck in something you don't enjoy then get out. It was full of pressure but I loved it. It was full of huge setbacks but I love those learnings, that growth mindset, the the hard work and sacrifice. It was um it was all about the enjoyment. So I say it to kids and I say it to everyone. Just, you know, make sure you enjoy life.
0: It's brilliant. You know, it, particularly at the moment with social media and other things, there are so many sort of glib comments chucked about, like, you know, and en- enjoy every day or find your passion in life. And, um Don't miss a moment because it might be the moment that changes your life. All of these kinds of things that get thrown around, all these little quotes on social media. I think what's really interesting, Dan, from this conversation is like, it's about the process as much as anything else. It's about finding the things that allow you to get to that place. So just saying to someone, be happy or enjoy it. It's a great message, but it's also a tricky message. But combined with all the things that you've spoken about on here, you know, that... All of those lessons all those learnings from an amazing rugby career um i think people are going to find this a really enlightening episode and it, it's genuine tools for for them to live a high performance life as well so i think on behalf of all of us thanks so much for sharing that yeah thank you no worries um yeah i really enjoyed that. appreciate it damien jay you know what there was in there so many little takeaways i mean i've written down here gratitude book making notes daily about four times I've just written down consistency and I, and you know that obviously is a conversation with a, one of the if not the greatest rugby player that's ever played the game but it's full of such useful stuff for people listening to this podcast isn't it who will never and have never competed at an elite level in the world of sport
3: I'd describe it as dynamite I just thought it was just like you say littered with so many pills and nuggets that are nothing to do with rugby. They're just about life. We've all dealt with moments of stress and it's about how we walk towards it and how we don't allow ourselves to be overcome by those moments that are so useful. I think the bit that stuck out for me was the stuff around the gratitude book because it relates to There's some fascinating research on this by a psychologist called Barbara Fredrickson Um, And she talks about how when we have gratitude or optimism, it broadens our perspective and we build on situations. We see how we can make the best of it. Whereas when we become pessimistic, we become narrow in our views and we try and knock things down and become cynical around it. And I think Dan's description of doing that and tied that into that blue head thinking that Kerry Evans had spoken to him about, they're stuff that anyone can do wherever we are in whatever situation we're facing
0: and I think the key the key message for me for, for all of you listening to this right now is not to just think, well, of course he 's managed to find the answers because he had psychologists and in anyway it doesn 't matter because he was an elite level athlete performing at, at the very top of his game. I think we have to remember that what, you know when Dan had difficult days, they were very public, difficult days in front of crowds of tens of thousands of people. you know nothing he did was normal. He had to try and keep his chin up and keep his momentum in in an incredibly elite group. He's now had to deal with having four kids, which a lot of people can relate to the challenge of having children. But going through that at the same time as his rugby career ends and he tries to kind of find the answer But what he has done consistently, Damien, hasn't he? He has looked for the answer, whether it's having a conversation with someone about who he really is after his rugby, whether it's talking to psychologists while he's playing the game, whether it's exploring note-making and gratitude books and tapping his leg or scrunching his toes to perform better in games. He's constantly looked for the answers. He's explored that growth mindset of his and he's found the answers. And the message to anyone listening to this is if you look for them, you will find answers that might be different to his, but they'll work for you.
3: Absolutely. That idea of being broad in your perspective, you know, looking outside of your own world for answers, building on what you already know, um, goes back to having that mindset of being grateful for what we have. Um, and again, can't repeat this enough that anyone can use this. It's not about being born with a, a phenomenal talent like Dan was, it's about using the resources that we all start with.
0: We've now come to what I think is one of the most interesting and enlightening parts of any high-performance episode. It's conversations with people like you who are listening to this and have been impacted by what they've heard on the podcast. And this is an email that we got from... Uh Henry Weeks, Mr Weeks, he's a teacher. And he says, after loving the High Performance podcast, I decided to introduce high performance lunchtimes at school with speakers from all walks of life. The boys have such busy lives that I wanted to have speakers that they could just sit and listen to without being asked to do some work relating to it. It has been a huge success with around 60 pupils attending the last talk with Spencer Bull, who's a former Invictus Games athlete. And the beauty of the talks has been the fact that the process has been fairly organic in the way that each one has just developed. Some adults couldn't get their head around the fact that the speakers would not be lecturing on a topic, but simply chatting about their lives and the things they feel are important. And they've now been converted. What have I learned? Well, it's reiterated my belief that life lessons are as important as history and geography. I love that because education is about so much more than just learning your maths and whatever. It's about creating rounded individuals. And Mr. Weeks, who joins us now with three of his pupils, um, you're doing exactly that, creating rounded individuals. And I'll tell you what leaps out at me most from that email is the fact that you're just having conversations, which is all this podcast is. And I think it's a reminder for all of us that just talking is one of the most powerful things that we can do as human beings,
4: isn't it? Absolutely. And uh, the boys have loved their, their lunchtime conversation. So what's been great about it as well, they've decided what they could, they, some of them they might want to come to, some of them may, they'd rather go out and play, um, which is absolutely fine. There's no compulsion for them to turn up. And sometimes a couple of boys just sort of go, Oh, well, I've enjoyed a bit of that. And then they've got to go off and do something else. But it's, we've been really talking about sort of taking those two or three um, major points from any talk, not trying to do too much, not trying to learn something, have to repeat it back to me. It might be just one thing. So can I
3: ask the boys then, please, Mr. Weeks, um, the, like, what is the one thing that you've taken from all the speakers that you've listened to so far?
2: Um, I'd probably say from one we had two days ago um, from Ian Percy. Um, it was all about the process rather than just um, the outcome.
0: Brilliant. And what, what's your name? Hort. Um, give us your other names as well, boys, before you tell us what's impacted you from the conversations you've had.
4: I'm Archie. And I'm Russell.
0: Go on then, Russell, far away.
4: So, we had a talk that I think Mr Weeks mentioned uh, from Spence and I found it really inspirational that he um, found sanctuary through sport after something that had happened to him. So, how he returned from a dark place to uh, uh, competing, I believe, the Invictus Games.
2: Mm,
3: brilliant. And what about yourself, Archie? Oh.
4: Well, we also had quite a bit ago. We had someone called David Boy who came, and he works in sport like cyber security and um, security and all those things. And before he kind of was in average job, and it's amazing how he's kind of gone from you know bottom of kind of to quite the top and doing amazing things in his life. I mean, it's incredible.
0: I'm so pleased to be having this conversation, Mr. Weeks, because I, I did struggle at school. Um, I don't want to say it too loud for your pupils, but I got an E, and N, and a U for my A levels, right? School was absolutely not for me. But it was also a reminder that there are different things for different people. And actually, it doesn't have to be about how well you do um, in specific lessons. It's about leaving school ready and equipped for, for what the world has. And I'm so excited that education is moving that way. Do you get a sense that that is the way that our education system is traveling in this country?
4: Absolutely. And um, our, our headmaster at school is massively behind this and what we're trying to do. And just what you can gain. And this idea that Google nowadays can provide a lot of answers and the boys can go and look and they can find that out. What they can't find is life lessons from experienced people. But it's just that idea, and all of the speakers have come through and have just been saying they're non-negotiable because it's one of the questions we always ask from the podcast. The main one is passion for what you do. And so we're saying to the boys all the time, have an interest, have a passion. Don't just come and sort of absorb. Tell me what you think about it. Tell me, show the passion about it.
3: So, Mr Weeks, would you tell us, how has the podcast impacted you personally?
4: I've always been quite interested in learning from other people. Um, and I enjoyed your Barcelona Way book um, the, um, and it's taking everyone you speak to you can take something from them in to improve your life or to develop your own life Love it
0: Listen I think we should finish with your pupils um, we talk about non-negotiables we talk about three non-negotiables so boys why don't, you, um, why don't you give us one each what do you think?
2: I would say just teamwork um, and um, being able to work with
4: other people I think like Hort said, the ability to be able to take on people other people's ideas and not just say, Oh no, we should do what I think I think all the time and let other people make their choice of what you think what they think they, we should do. Yeah. Also, you know, not giving up and even when things are so hard, pushing through and making sure you can get there.
0: You're obviously listening at Molesford. So, um, Mr. Weeks, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on. You know, for us to have these conversations and to impact people is brilliant. But for us to have these conversations and impact young people who are at school, just tell us how old are you guys, about 13 or something?
4: Yeah, 12, 12, 13.
0: Not a bad guess, was it? Well, for us to be helping to tap into your mindset at this age is great. You know, you need to do me a favour though, right? You need to make sure that you tell your mates about high performance and you tell them about mindset you tell them about resilience and everything else like that because um they're in some magic lies for the rest of their lives all right
4: right yeah. yeah thank you thanks lads
0: brilliant and mr weeks a final thanks to you for embracing the podcast and we talk about this a lot don't we it's it's one thing to listen to it and just to go yeah that was a good episode i enjoyed that it's something totally different to then decide to take that into the i guess the real world if you like and decide to action it and to have enough passion for it that you go and impact other people with it. So thank you so much for taking it on to the next stage. Cheers. Oh, I enjoyed that, Damien. Um, You know, for for you listening to this, we're doing this over Zoom. So it's nice we can see their faces and actually just to see them thinking, Damien, thinking about like how has high performance impacted me when they're 13 years old. Like, I love that, man. It's brilliant.
3: I think one of the things that we've spoken about in the book coming out is the golden seed moment that every high performer talks about that moment whether it was an adult who was a teacher a coach a parent that just recognized that seed of talent that they had within them and I think if if those young boys and anyone else listening to this that uh, uh, a young enough age can reflect on what they're good at you know that's our job done
0: and I, I like the way that Mr Weeks spoke about it's actually not difficult it's about just doing it and we talk often don't we you know action leads to motivation if you're a teacher thinking i'd love to get the pupils at my school involved in this sort of thing um but you're waiting for the motivation just take the action make one phone call speak to someone begin the journey and you start small you know speak to a local business person and then these things grow and these things develop and we've got big plans actually for working with everyone in the education sector in 2022 more details will come your way after the new year but i think it's fair to say that for us damien that is a real area of focus, isn't it? Trying to reach people as early as possible.
3: Yeah, there's a lovely saying that I often think about in education, whereas, you know, the sign of a civilised society is when people plant seeds for, the, for trees under which shade they'll never sit. And I think if we can sort of get out there at an early enough age and give some of these messages to kids that maybe wouldn't be getting them in, a, in any other format, it taps into our own sense of purpose about why we do this.
0: It's great. Um, Should we move on to some questions, Damien? Because last week on the uh, podcast episode, we said we're going to answer a few of your questions. Andy Howe. Hi, Andy. He got in touch to say, I'm a big believer in self-development, being the best version of myself and trying to learn each and every day. Even though I work in an elite, high-performing world and industry, it's often a challenge to find someone who's willing to open the doors, be transparent and allow you into their team, their club or their world. And that's really what we're doing with this podcast. But lots of people have got in touch to say, how do I help other people? Like what is the advice we can give people to to allow them to take others on a journey of high performance? What do you think, Damien?
3: I think the starting point for any of this is is, is empathy. So don't go in there assuming that you have the answers. It's about stepping into somebody else's world and see it from their perspective and see how they view the world, the challenges that they have, the resources that they feel they've got to hand and start from where they are, not from where you are. Mm.
0: And I would add to that, create a culture either at home or in the workplace or among your mates of vulnerability. And the best way to create a culture of vulnerability is to start asking questions and to admit that you don't know all the answers. Because as soon as you tell the people you're with that you don't know everything and you wouldn't mind some advice from them, it's amazing how quickly they return the favour and start asking advice from you, isn't it?
3: Well, that's a brilliant advice, Jake. I think that taps into... There was a study done from Google, uh, back in 2015, where they looked at the best teams and cultures and they didn't find any particular formula, but one consistent presence was psychological safety, where people felt they could ask questions without feeling ridiculous if they didn't know the answers or they could express vulnerability without worried about the consequences of it. So I think what you're describing and that advice is, is perfect
0: great we've got another message here from Dan Bond he said he's literally written down hundreds of takeaways on his phone since the start of the High Performance podcast last year he has lots of favourites the one he always comes back to though is James Timpson and the philosophy of keeping kindness at the heart of everything you do are there any takeaways that you or Damien Jake have discovered over the course of the last few series that have worked wonders for you
3: yeah I mean I love I I, I echo Dan's point there around the James Timpson one because I think Kindness can seem quite twee when people talk about being kind, they assume it's easy to parody and assume it's about high fives and group hugs and things like that, whereas what James was talking about was kindness with a real commercial edge to it. You still want to win, but you want to win in the right way, you want to be successful while still treating people with dignity and respect. So I think, I wouldn't say uh, I picked that up, but it certainly reinforced that belief, meeting James and Ben Francis and rick lewis some of these other business titans that would met Ma- mary portas is another one that was echoing the same points what about
0: you jake i think for me damien it is a realization that your brain is constantly writing stories or creating situations that are not real we talked to I me mean, about 100 responsibility you need to try and take control of that brain to the point where and i know this is hard for some people that happiness is a choice totally regardless of anything that is happening in your life and i know that makes some people switch off automatically but I think happiness is a choice.
3: Yeah, I love that. And I think if there's one narrative that we should all be telling ourselves is precisely that, that it's not the fact, it's how you react. It's the Billy Munger lesson of it might not be your fault that you've been in a catastrophic car crash, but it's your responsibility of how you're going to deal with the consequences of that. And I think if that's the overriding narrative in our heads when we have rows with our partners or with our friends or family, it's still our responsibility to put it right. And I think if that, can, if that can dominate our thought process, it leaves us better resourced and equipped to be able to handle that.
0: Yeah. And uh, a final message, this is from Lucy Damien. Uh, she says, I'm new to high performance. Uh, I've just listened to John McAvoy. It was the most remarkable conversation I think I might've heard in my life. Um, I'm not sure where to go next. Which episode would you recommend for me? I am go. Oh, I'm going to say. Um, I always say this to people. I'm going to say Johnny Wilkinson because I just think the whole point of this podcast is hearing people talk in a way that you've never heard before. And and you know we we had a question, didn't we, about being open with other people and sharing what you know with other people. Um, Johnny Wilkinson shared stuff that is incredibly brave, but it takes the listener to a place that they wouldn't necessarily expect. So I would say England World Cup winner Johnny Wilkinson. Is a great episode, but don't expect the conversation to be about rugby because it's about everything else other than... What about Brilliant. you,
3: mate? I'm going to go uh, for from the last series, Rick Lewis. And, and part of it Brilliant. is because a lot of people might not know who Rick is, but uh, he's a billionaire businessman, voted as the most influential black man in Britain in 2020. And he spoke to us really powerfully about principles. And the reason I'd advocate that is because he shares his principles for a high-performing life and business and and career but i think it'll stimulate anyone listening to that to then think about their own principles their own narrative the rules of the life that they live by so i think that'd be a good place to start
0: fantastic well done mate um i want to just finish with a with a comment not a question this is from kim who got in touch with us on instagram and i think that this goes back to what damien mentioned earlier that having empathy is so important none of us know the the world in which those around us are walking um and i think You know, having that kindness and understanding of others is so important. Kim said, I'm a mum of a disabled child with severe epilepsy. Life is challenging and finding balance is really tough. I'm naturally a positive person, but the pandemic stretched us to our limits. I listen to the podcast in 20 minute bursts when I just have a brief moment to myself. Listening to your guests talk about their experiences and mindsets has given me the confidence to take more control at work and strive to make it the best it can be. Every guest is so different, but they all talk about the importance of passion and being all in. Tiredness and stress can affect my ability to be present, but you've given me the strength to make life as good as it can be and for me to be the best I can be in the moment. Wow. What a message. So thank you so much, Kim. And it's that kind of impact um, is the reason why we sit and have these conversations, record these interviews and and send it out to you for free because we just want as many people as possible to, to be impacted by this. Damien I know you're you're recording this at home having suffered with COVID the last few days how are you feeling by the way?
3: (laughs) Uh, It's not the facts; it's how you react. (laughs) There you go. I must admit I I feel like I've been hit by the sledgehammer.
0: All right family okay?
3: Yeah yeah all good thanks mate how about you?
0: Yeah all good everyone's fine here so we're just you know hunkering down and watching the winter slowly set in in Norfolk. Um, Mate thank you very much as always it wouldn't be the same without you Damien. Uh, thanks, mate. Appreciate top it, man, Top man. Thanks to Mr Weeks. Um, thanks to um, the three boys who joined us as well from uh, Molesford Prep School. Um, so great to know that you know young minds and young ears are listening to these podcasts. If you want more information or more about high performance, just go to com. You can also pre-register right there for our tour in 2022. Hopefully we're coming to a city near you. Um, and if you want to be the very first on the list to come and join us, then head to thehighperformancepodcast.com and sign yourself up. Thanks, as always, to Finn, Ryan at Rethink Audio for his hard work on the podcast. Thanks to our team of Hannah, of Eve, of Will. Thanks to Damien, of course. But as always, wherever you are, whatever you're up to, however you're listening, and whatever impact this podcast is having on you, the biggest thanks goes to you for supporting and being part of the High Performance Podcast journey. Um, Take care, and we'll see you for plenty more very soon. See ya. I'm